right, good to see everybody. Yeah, we're glad. I hope, uh, I don't know about all the other campuses, but the weather's been awesome, hasn't it? Here in yes. South Florida. I've uh, been waiting all winter to have the last couple of days. It's been great. <laughs> we're glad you're here. If you're a guest, as always, we're humbled that um, you would hang out with us. You know, we're just a few weeks away from Easter. And when you came in, if you look in your program, you were given two pieces of material. Will you pull those out? All right. You're given a white card and then a, a pretty card that says mosaic on it, which is the theme of what we're doing this Easter. And of course, this card is, we do an Easter sunrise baptism. So if you've yet to walk into the water, put on your God jersey, I want to encourage you to do that. What better time than Easter? Because Easter is a picture of what baptism is. Jesus died and then he resurrected on the third day. So, so don't put it off. I encourage you to be obedient in that. And then this card is to, to be able to invite people. You, it's easy to forget sometimes the impact our life can have. And uh, before we even get started this evening, Steph and I wanted to take a moment and uh, remind all of us because, you know, we've done this for a long time, and it's easy to think somebody else will do it, somebody else's turn, but um, it really does make a difference. Watch this. We decided to have a baby last year, I think it was like around April. April. Yeah, and then we talked about it in April, and I was pregnant in May. <laughs> So like, one, two, three, and I'm actually type one diabetic. I was seeing like all my specialists, making sure everything was on point, but the pregnancy went so smooth. Um, I, I was fine one minute, and then four o'clock in the morning after Thanksgiving dinner and everything, I start like getting sick and throwing up, and I was really, really bad. So they, he rushed me to labor and delivery. And then the, the doctor that was like, he kind of put it in a scary way, like, you know, if I don't deliver this baby right now, you both are in danger. Pretty much rushed her in, gave me the stuff to wear to go in, gave her mom the stuff to go in, we went in, they pulled him out, cut the cord, and then they took him up to the NICU, and then he was in there for a long time. They came up to us one day in the NICU, and the doctor's like, oh, the newborn's screening, it has uh, some concern on cystic fibrosis. Uh, don't really know much to tell you, uh, and he just walked away. It's like, from what you read online, if he makes it to 10, 12, that's great. That's awesome. Um, so it, you hit a low point, you just start, you know, I say, I believed in God, you start praying, and then she mentioned the church. Well, that actually sounds like a good idea. I had a card. And actually, the card, it was so long ago, it wasn't even called Potential Church. So this girl, I went to class with her. We were partners in something, and it was, God, it was so many years ago. And we happened to be talking about something, and religion got brought up, and I told her, yeah, I don't believe in all that, because I've been through a lot of stuff in my life, so I'm just like, no. And she's like, you really, you should come one day. And I'm like, sure, one day. <laughs> I never went. I, in fact, I don't even think I spoke to her after the class ended. I completely forgot about it all, but for some reason I kept the card and I knew exactly where it was. And then of course the, the first service that we actually decided to go to, it was the guy that he was an atheist, he was a New York or a Chicago Tribune reporter and he was doing this the talk and it was aimed directly at us. That day I filled out one of those prayer requests that they have laid out there and um, I put down 
to pray that he gets released from the NICU soon. So I think the next day I went, he went to work and I did my normal routine, wake up, go to see him at the NICU. I got a phone call and I usually don't answer when I'm going to the hospital, but I didn't know the number, so I'm like, whatever, I'll answer it. And it was someone from the church saying, we got your prayer request, you know, this and that. And as soon as I walk in, the feeding tube is off. I, I didn't expect that. It looks like it's on the lesser side of things, but you know, we didn't know for sure, so I sent another prayer request that just, you know, hopefully everything comes out good, and I think his name was Brian. Sent me back the thing saying that they're gonna pray for him and they're gonna keep him in their thoughts, and sure enough, the next day we go to Joe DiMaggio, or a couple days later, they say it's a very minor case, and he very well may not even have any symptoms, period. Yeah, it went from six years old, he may not even be here, to he very well may just live a perfect life. Yeah. yeah. You know, we changed the name of the church, I remember it was 2010. Yeah. So that card had lasted for seven years. Um, uh, they're made well, made in the USA. Um, <laughs> but anyways, it matters, you know, and it's easy to get so busy and you forget and you think, oh, you know, I've asked so many times. Um, Easter's a great, great opportunity and I, every weekend is, but I hope that on Easter especially, you and I will make that extra effort to invite folks to come out and be part of it. You know, we're in a series and we're looking at the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a difficult prophet to look at because he has some hard things to say. And we're talking about uh, a lone voice because that's what Jeremiah was. He, he was sharing what God told him to share, but not a whole lot of people were listening uh, along the way. And, you know, I was reading an article about voices in the Huffington Post, and it said that the average person can determine with 99.9% .9 accuracy within four syllables, syllables or two words, uh, they can identify a family member or, or a friend if they just hear the voice. And I thought that was pretty incredible. Four syllables, syllable, I can't say that word, syllables, syllables <laughs> or, or uh, two words. And so we wanted to see if you're average or abnormal, okay? And so take out a pencil or pen or lipstick, mascara, whatever you want to write with, okay? And we're going to play some voices for you. They're all going to say the same thing. We want to see if you recognize them, okay? You ready? You re now wake up first, okay? You're going to have a hard time. It's a pretty day, I'm sure, at most of our campuses. You're tired. So here we go. Let's listen to the first verse. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. All right, write down who you think that was. Who do you think that was? <laughs> Pastor Brian, okay. <laughs> How many of you got it right? Okay, how many of you didn't get it right? So you're in the point, that that's not good, all right. <laughs> According to the Huffington Post, you know, what do they know, I guess. But anyways, here's the second voice. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Write it down. Write it down. Don't, don't cheat yet. You know who it is? I do know who that is. All right. Yes. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I do because it says right here. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know before you looked, though? <laughs> it's Tyler. 
right? Yeah. Tyler Gramling, that is our, our oldest, oldest son. How many of you got that one right? All right, did a little better. We're getting more to normal. Here's the third verse, all right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. All right, write it down, who you think that is. You may not know some of these folks' names, so you can, you know, write down some, whatever it is that you remember of them, especially at our campuses. You may not know them. Brooke Simpson, and she leads worship on the weekend, all right, Uh, is who that is. We'll do a couple, we'll do a couple of more. Let's, uh, let's do the next one, I guess. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Mm, One of our campuses... Uh, ought to get this one. Hollandale ought to get this one for sure. Pastor Jacob, all right, who's leading worship here at Cooper City this weekend. How many of you got that one right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do this last one. See how you do. For God so loved the world. (laughs) I know who that Uh, was. Do you guys hear my (laughs) southern accent in there? (laughs) I've tried so hard over the years. Anyways, voices are important, and like the article said, we tend to recognize them quite quickly. And the same thing is true when it comes to the voice of, of our God, comes to the voice of Jesus. Look at what he says. It's not in your outline, but they'll put it up on the screen. Because we're going to talk today, Steph and I, about truth and life. We're going to talk about the value of life. And if we're going to talk about a subject that's so important, we want to hear Jesus above all the noise, right? There's a lot of noise in our culture. There are a lot of people who think they know a lot of stuff, but we want to hear what Jesus has to say about this. So look what it says in John 14, 6. It says, uh, Jesus told him, I am the way, and then what's that next phrase? The truth. truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus said, I am the truth, and then if you just go down a few more chapters, or go back a few more chapters, in chapter 10, verse 27, it says this, my sheep recognize, well, they're going to put it up there in a minute, there, my sheep recognize what? My voice. Yeah, my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give them real and eternal life, and then it goes on to say, they are protected from the destroyer. So Jesus says he's the truth, and he says that as a Christ follower, one of the great benefits of being a Christ follower is that you and I can actually recognize his voice, especially when it comes to life. And as Steph and I prepared this, this weekend, we want to talk about life, and we want to talk about life in the context with um, something that uh, happens with great uh, on a regular basis in our world and here in the United States, we want to talk about abortion. And we want to talk about it not from a political standpoint. We want to look for some truth. We want to understand what God and his word really has to say about, the, uh, about this subject. Yeah, and so, you know, it, it, it really is mine and Troy's prayer that you hear our heart today, um, that you keep an open mind, you know, no matter where you stand uh, when it comes to abortion. And, uh, you know, because as we all know, there's a lot of differing opinions out there when it comes to this topic. So, you know, as with anything, the best place to go for, uh, for wisdom and guidance, of course, is to God's word. So when we think about, you know, va- the value of life, what 
does God's word have to say about it? So if you would, go ahead and take out that outline uh, that you got when you came in today. And, um, you know, like Troy said, we're going to talk today, we want to take a look at four different voices that speak into our life. And the first voice that we want to look at is a lone voice the prophet, a lone voice. You know, we all have those people, those lone voices that speak truth into our life. And, you know, oftentimes they stand alone. You know, they go against the majority. They go against uh, what the world says, but they don't waver in their belief. They're that lone voice. And that's what we see here in Jeremiah. We see Jeremiah being this lone voice speaking to his people, to the people of, of Jerusalem and uh, Judah. And so let's jump right in. Uh, we're going to take a look at Jeremiah chapter 7, and we're going to begin in verse 24. Now, this is, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, and he's telling Jeremiah this message. He's giving him this message to relay to the people. Now, there's a lot of scripture here, and we're going to jump around quite a bit, okay? So hang with me, because... This scripture really does set up what we're going to talk about tonight. So chapter 7, beginning in verse number 24, it says, My people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted, following the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backward instead of forward. From the day your ancestors left Egypt until now, I have continued to send my servants, the prophets, day in and day out. But my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They have been stubborn and sinful, even worse than their ancestors. And then in verse number 31, they have built pagan shrines, and there they burn their sons and daughters in the fire. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. Now we're going to skip over. Still, we're still in Jeremiah, but we're going to skip over to chapter 32, and we're going to look at verse 33. My people have turned their backs on me and have refused to return. Even though I diligently taught them, they would not receive instruction, instruction or obey. And then verse 35, they have built pagan shrines to Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And there they sacrificed their sons and daughters to Molech. I have never commanded such a horrible deed, and it never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. What an incredible evil causing Judah to sin so greatly. So in this, uh, in this scripture, God, God gives Jeremiah this message. He says, this is what I want you to share to your people, to the people of Ju uh, Jerusalem and Judah. And, you know, um, Jeremiah has to be a lone voice in this. He has to go against the majority. He has to go really against all of the people because they're all participating in this, this worship of foreign gods and uh, sacrificing their children to these foreign gods. And so Jeremiah has to stand up and proclaim to them that what they're doing is wrong, sacrificing their children to, to Molech. And, you know, when, when we read this scripture, I'm sure we would all agree that what they were doing was cruel, 
It was barbaric. You know, as, as I was studying this week uh, in preparation for the, the teaching, um, I, you know, I, I did some studying about what, what does that mean they were sacrificing their children to this foreign god? What did that look like? And what I found out, there's a couple of different ways that they did that. They either, the parents either ritually murdered their child and then placed them on an altar of fire, or, and this is, this is even worse, um, sometimes they actually burned the child alive as a sacrifice to this foreign god, Molech. And, um, you know, they did this, and when I researched, you know, I'm like, man, how could they do that? What was the reason behind it? They did this because um, they were promised a blessing of prosperity in exchange for sacrificing their child. That's what this foreign god, Molech, promised them. And so Jeremiah has to stand up and boldly proclaim that God's not happy with them. How could you do this? It's wrong. And, you know, today, although we may not be sacrificing our children to, to foreign gods, you know, what we see happening in today's society is very similar through, through abortion. You know, there have been over 50 million abortions in the United States since the legalization of it uh, in the case of Roe versus Wade in 1973, over 50 million abortions. And so what Troy and I want to do today is we want to maybe be that lone voice in your life. You know, looking to God's word, not getting political, but just speaking the truth from God's word. You know, God is the creator of life. So what does he have to say about, um, about how we should value human life? All the way from the womb to the tomb. What does God say about the value of human life? You know, as, as, to, as we, the way we do series here is, and I, as I kind of prepare for those, is I always try to do a series that's about us, what God has to say about the way, you know, you do life with other people, your spouse, your kids, your, the people you work with, and then our relationship with God. And so that's how we kind of got to Jeremiah. And when I was reading through it, and I, I was reading this passage and passage uh, in chapter 7, just as I was reading that, this topic is what really uh, began to speak to my heart. And I had never really seen the correlation before as I read, as I read through that. Uh, Steph and I want to speak to this to you from God's word, but from the perspective, of course, she's a woman who's had three different kids, two boys and then uh, a, a girl. And then, um, you know, my mom wrote, uh, or my mom told me that, um, you know, my birth was a result of, of, of sexual violence or, or, or rape. So it's a unique perspective in which Steph and I look at this scripture in order to discover uh, the truth. Now, when you look at Jeremiah chapter 7, and, and you, God says, you know, I never even had this in my mind. Here's what I wrote in my notes. As Steph said, it's not the false god of Moloch or Baal, but it is the modern god of convenience. It, it is the god of convenience that causes us to sacrifice our children. Now, this next part is going to be the most challenging to actually wrestle with and deal with. Because we're going to look at what the scripture uh, says about this, this practice, about us uh, putting our children on the altar of convenience or career or even uh, financial advancement. Now, a lot of times when we talk about this, we talk about it and we talk about, well, what if 
rape is involved or what if the, the, the mother's life is involved. And, and I want you to see in the state of Florida, if you're going to have an abortion, you have to, you have to, you have to say why. It's not true in every state, but it is, state, it is true in the state of Florida. And I want to show you in 2015, all right, this is what the folks who had an abortion, here's what they said was the reason. So they're going to put the chart up on the screen. I'm going to move me so we can read it. All right. So you can see that, um, you know, way 0.001% was the result of incest. 0.065% because the woman's life was in danger. 0.085% the woman was raped. 0.288, the woman's physical health was threatened. 0.294, psychological health was threatened. 0.66, um, there was an abnormality uh, with the, the fetus uh, inside the womb. And you can see those are all less than 1%, okay? Then you get a little over 6% that said they just couldn't afford the child. There was an economic reason and re why they were going to have the abortion. But the vast majority, 92%, said that there wasn't a reason. In other words, when we talk about this subject, we tend to talk about those at the top. And, you, you know, those are all uh, each less than 1%, less than 5% if you put them all together. And, and here's the reason I show you that. The vast majority of abortions are the result of convenience, either career or for finances, or feeling that they're not ready to take care of the infant or financially able to take care of the infant. It really is a sacrifice, not to bail, but it's a sacrifice to convenience or career or to, to finances. Now, that, that's important to, to have that kind of context, and we're going to look at this forgotten voice. And, of course, the forgotten voice is the children because they, they don't get to speak when it comes to this because they're not, they're not around. And so I want us to look at the scripture, and then we're going to look at just a little bit of, of science, all right? <clears throat> now, um, if you, and this is what I wrote down, I said it, but I want to say it again. If you or someone you love has been through this abortion process, then this is going to be the most difficult part of the teaching. But if you stay with Steph and myself, I do believe that there is some healing ahead. Um, and it, it all boils down to this question, right? When does life begin? I mean, if we are trying to determine whether or not it is um, the value of life, well, when does life begin? When does it start? Is it once the child leaves uh, the mother's body, or is it sometime before that? Because that's really, I would think, for the vast majority of us, the question. Now, I, I will tell you this, that science, the more science and technology progress the the, the more the argument switches a little bit because of our ability to have such an uh, image of children <clears throat> inside, inside the womb. But let's look and see what the scripture says, all right? Because if you're a Christ follower, it's important what the scripture says. If you're, if you're not, then you can look at some of the science. But if you're a Christ follower, what the Bible says is important when it comes to life. Now let's look at Jeremiah. We're studying the book of Jeremiah. I use this verse, this passage, the very first week of the series, talking about your destiny, your purpose, how God created you, on purpose to do something of significance. Look what it says. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you. So, again, in your mother's where? 
womb. So God says to Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you. Where did I know you? I knew you in the mother's womb. So Jeremiah, according to this passage, was Jeremiah in the womb. He goes on and says, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you my prophet to the nations. So according to scripture, okay, Jeremiah was created by God in the womb, but Jeremiah was Jeremiah in the womb, and Jeremiah had a purpose in the womb before he was ever uh, born separate from the mother. Now, here's another scripture that we talk about a lot here at Potential Church because it's so important to your potential, to you accomplishing and experiencing everything God created you to be. Psalm 39, David talking to God, and he says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together where? In my mother's womb. He says, thank you for making me wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. So David's talking about who he is. But he says that who he is started where? It started in the womb. Didn't begin once he came out of the womb. It started in the womb. Verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. Again, that's a reference to the womb. As I was woven together in the dark of what? The womb. Verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Well, where do we reside before we are born? We reside in the womb. And then he goes on and says, every day of my life is recorded in your book. And then I just wanted to share, because again, we could look at a lot of scriptures, but I just want to share one more with you because it makes it so clear. In Job chapter 31, Job is talking, he says, for God created both me and my servants. These are his friends that were giving him a hard time. You, he, God, created us both where? In the womb. So, again, we could look at scripture after scripture, but the Bible's really clear on this, is that we are created in the womb. We are a person in the womb. God knows us, he creates creates us, and he has a purpose for us long before we are ever physically born, according to the scripture. Now, again, if, if you're not a, a Christ follower, then that may not mean as much to you. But I want us to look at one other perspective, and that's Psalm chapter 8, all right? Because, well, let me read it, and then we'll talk about it. It says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. And then he starts to talk about who human beings are, who you and I are. He, you gave them, human beings, charge of everything you made putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. Now, uh, the, uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, I had our little puppy dog out here, Harley, and uh, years ago I brought Charlie. Uh, we didn't bring our dogs because they can be a pain at church, <laughs> but I did bring a picture of them. I think we have a picture all right, that's Charlie <laughs> on the right. He's a, uh, what is he? Samoyed. Samoyed, and then that's Harley on the left, and she is a Shih Tzu. Now, I got to tell you, I've never been a huge dog. I mean, I grew up with dogs, and we had dogs, and we always liked dogs, but um, when we had, had another Shih Tzu, and how old was Toby when he died? He was 14. He was 14 when he died, and Steph went the next week and, and got another another dog, and I don't know if it's because our kids are older, but she has me wrapped around her finger. Um, yes, she does. <laughs> <laughs> and I bring that up for this reason. As much as I love 
our dogs, and I never really thought I would say that, um, there is, according to the scripture, a difference between the animal kingdom and you and me. And, and that's what Psalm chapter 8 is about. It's pointing out the fact that there is uh, a difference, that, that as human beings, we are created by God to be stewards of earth and to take dominion over the planet. And, and, and I share that because I think when we realize that, we can see that there's, there's a spiritual aspect to this thing called life. Because it seems that many times those who struggle with the life in the womb um, don't struggle in, um, in protecting the life of, of animals. And, and there's, you know, there's not a, you don't have to be one or the other. But the, if you, and we don't have time to go into all this, but if you go to Romans, it talks about this. It talks about how God gives us over to ourselves. And when he does, our desire for the creation is greater um, than the creation uh, himself. You're special. You have a soul as a human being. I have a soul as a human being. And what I wrote in my notes is that means that this is more than bumper stickers. Because when you talk about life, when you talk about abortion, a lot of time it becomes bumper stickers. It becomes, well, I wish that those who are pro-life, you know, cared about the children once they left the womb. Or, um, it, it, and there's all this conversation. So here's what I wrote down. The scripture teaches us we are stewards and have a responsibility to take care of animals. We, and we need to take that responsibility seriously. The Bible talks about that. The scripture also teaches that we should take seriously and support and care the care of unwanted children or single parents in poverty struggling to take care of their children. There's no doubt about it. The scripture teaches that. But I want you to, to, to go with me. I can be guilty of not taking responsibility to love and care for the homeless seriously. So in other words, I can step around them. I can ignore the homeless. I can look in the other direction. But that doesn't mean that I'm okay with them being mistreated painfully or being killed. And the reason I bring that up is because sometimes, so many times when we talk about life, we get in this bumper sticker mode that if, that if someone is inconsistent or if someone is even hypocritical in the sense that they fight for life but they're nowhere around once the baby is born, that's not good. That's disobedient to God's word. But that doesn't mean that it's okay to take the life of that child. And it's important that we're able to separate those two things. The real question is what I stated at the very beginning. When does life begin? Um, because I think we can all agree that... Um, well, the, 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 I would think that all of us can agree, but all of culture, maybe not, um, that murder is wrong. So I want to show you a, a couple of pictures. And, and I think it's important to motivate us maybe to investigate this a little more. I want to show you a picture of um, a, a fetus that's eight weeks old, all right? And um, that's not the picture. Do y'all have the picture? That's not the picture. 
They have a lot of pictures. And the only reason I say that is because I don't know what those pictures are, and I want to make sure that everything I share with you is the truth. Do you guys have the pictures or not? Do you have the 15 weeks picture? That was the second one. They don't? Somebody tell me? They don't have them? Yeah. Well, that's not it. All right, they don't have the pictures. So if you go online, you'll be able to see the pictures, all right? But it's important, it's important because modern technology has taken us to um, a new place at, to, 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 to be able to see so much of those children when they're inside of the womb. And I could list, and you've probably heard, all the things that, you know, at, uh, at eight weeks and nine weeks and ten weeks, the, the different organs that are beginning to come online, when they can see, when their skin is developed, uh, when their heart, when they feel pain. That's one of the things that has had a huge impact on this discussion is the understanding of the fetus's ability to feel pain. That if they're taking blood or something from the mother and they put the needle in, they can see that the baby uh, withdraws or, or moves away from that needle, that they are able to feel, um, that they're able to feel pain. And, and, and I wanted to, again, just challenge you to do your own investigation when it comes to the science. But when you look at the pictures and you see, not just read, but you see the development of that infant uh, in the womb of the mother. And then when you look at scripture, because scripture is clear that life begins at conception, all right? Now, again, whether or not you believe that or not, whether or not, you, you know, scripture is important to you depends on whether or not you're a Christ follower. But I, I, even if you're not a Christ follower, I encourage you to look at the science and, and to see the reality. And I'll tell you why um, in just a moment. And let me end this time with just a few realities, all right? Here's the first one. In 2013, which is just a few years ago, approximately 16.7% of U.S. pregnancies, not counting miscarriages, ended in divorce. So almost one in five children who were conceived were aborted. Now, that's in the United States. If you go to New York City in 2013, approximately 37.4% of all pregnancies in New York City uh, excluding miscarriages, ended in abortion. And these numbers are from the CDC. This is not some Christian site. This is not some, you know, th this is the CDC that's giving notes. So think about that. Almost 40% of the children who were conceived in New York City, their lives ended uh, in abortion because the pregnancies were terminated. In 2013, unmarried women accounted for 85.2% of all abortions. Again, this is the CDC numbers. Now, here's why this is important. You say, well, why? If you read the scripture, and we've talked about this over and over again, where God says, here's the way I want you to do relationships. Here's the way I want you to do marriage. Here's the way I want you to do purity, right? The Bible says, don't be sexually active until you get married. Now, and I've always tried to challenge you that the reason God tells us these things is not to zap us or to, or to you know, he's waiting for us to, no, no, he's trying to protect us is that he wants us to have life and to have it abundantly. And he knows that when we're sexually active outside of marriage, that it leads to a very destructive place. Because we've already looked at the scripture. From the scripture, from God's perspective, life begins at conception. 
And over eight out of 10 ladies who um, get pregnant outside of marriage end up terminating that pregnancy and taking the life of that child. So God says, understanding this long before maybe you and I did, hey, you need to live a pure life. Sex is this incredible gift that I've given you and I want you to enjoy it, but I want you to enjoy it within the commitment of marriage. And then the last one is in 2014. And this is heartbreaking. 30% of aborting women identified themselves as Protestants and 24% identified themselves as Catholic. And, And the only reason I put that statistic there is to say that those of us who call ourselves Christ followers aren't living that differently from those who don't. And that's why we're, we're talking about this because we need to have these conversations. We need to wrestle with this. We need to deal with this because I think that it is ultimately important. And I think the reason that we don't is one, we either feel guilty because of decisions that we've made in the past or we don't want to deal with the po- uh, political aspect of it. This may get played out in the political field sometimes, but this is not about politics. This is about life. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, we see what happened to a whole nation because of one of the things they didn't do is they didn't listen to Jeremiah. And they sacrificed their children on the altar of success and convenience and financial opportunity or blessing. And history has a way of repeating itself. So it is important that you and I wrestle with, deal with, and understand and get to what, um, what the truth is when it comes to this. Yeah, so we have a, a lone voice, we have a forgotten voice, and then the third voice that we want to look at today, um, and of course this is the greatest voice that speaks into our lives, and uh, that is God's voice, the cross. You know, one of the great things about being a Christ follower is that we always have God's voice. You know, God's voice is always there to encourage us, to challenge us, um, to speak life into us, um, you know, to speak words of love and grace and mercy. And God's voice always, always points to the cross. John chapter 19 and verse 30 says, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, say those next three words with me, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Those famous and powerful three words when Jesus hung there on the cross, it is finished. You know, I think about words and how powerful words are. Uh, I mean, words have the ability to, um, to make us or break us. And, you know, I think about just some words that are spoken and the, the power behind the words. Um, you know, I think about, for example, in a wedding ceremony, uh, when the words are spoken, I now pronounce you husband and wife. I mean, those are just words, but there's power in those words, right? I mean, as soon as those words are spoken, uh, everything changes. I mean, the two become one. So everything about your life changes in that moment when those words are spoken. I think about the words, I do. 
You know, on your wedding day and the, the bride and the groom, when they speak those words to their spouse. And, you know, as a spouse, as a husband or wife, you choose to believe those words, right? I mean, because, well, first of all, I guess if you didn't believe them, you wouldn't be marrying that person. But, um, you know, you choose to believe that when your spouse looks you in the eye and says, I do, that they're making this lifelong commitment to, uh, to you, to the marriage relationship. And so uh, words are, are just words, but there's power in our words. And so when Jesus uttered these three words, as he was um, about to, right before he died on the cross, it is finished. Those three words represent the sacrifice that Jesus made for me and you, for our sins. You know, when, when he uttered those words, it is finished, it's, he was, what he was doing is like stamping it, paid in full, that my sins and your sins have been paid in full. Every sin that you and I have ever committed and every sin that we ever will commit, Jesus took that sin upon himself so that we could be set free from that. And uh, here's another scripture, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It says, God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Again, in all of these, this scripture that we're going to read in, over the next couple of minutes, I hope you hear it's God's voice speaking to you. And he's speaking about, um, he's pointing to the cross. He's speaking about the forgiveness that you and I have because of what he did on the cross. See, there is no sin that's too big for God. You know, we're all sinners, and God doesn't distinguish between sin. Sin is sin, so there's no sin that's too big for God. So when God went to the cross, when Jesus went to the cross, your slate was wiped completely clean. You started with a brand new slate. Another scripture, again, God's voice speaking. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. This means that when anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, the old life is gone, a new life has begun. It says the old life is go gone, a new life has begun. You're a new person now. See, God is a God of forgiveness and of restoration. And, you know, I'm sure that there's, there's some people uh, in this room at all of our campuses today that have participated in abortion, and Troy and I don't want you to leave here today. We don't want you to leave discouraged. We don't want you to leave um, filled with guilt, wondering how you're ever going to be able to move past this. Because God's voice, the greatest voice in our life, says to you today, he says, I love you and I forgive you. But see, the enemy wants us to be held hostage by our past. He doesn't want us to be able to move forward in the freedom that God gives us. You know, trying to convince you that you're unworthy of this forgiveness. That, you know, and some of you just haven't been able to let go of the guilt. You haven't been able to lay it down at the cross to surrender it to God. You're still living in the past. You can't move forward because of the guilt that you feel. See, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. You know, our thoughts always follow, uh, our feelings always follow our thoughts, and our thoughts are a choice. So it's you choose to forgive yourself, deciding that, again, that you're not going to live in the past, that you're not going to listen to the, the lies of the enemy and be held in bondage by that anymore, that you're going to move forward, that you're going to lay it down at the cross today, you're going to surrender it and leave it there.
Here's another scripture, God's voice. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So today, God's voice reminds you that uh, it it points to the cross. It reminds you about the forgiveness. See, if you're a, a Christ follower, just like the scripture says, you've been cleansed. You've been made right with God. So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. Today is the day that you lay that guilt down. You walk out of here today not carrying that with you, but again, remembering the price that was paid on the cross for not just that sin, but for every sin that we've ever committed. See, God's voice is the greatest voice in our life. And he always, always points to the cross and the forgiveness that you and I experience because of that. And, uh, but you have to believe that. You know, in order to, uh, you have to believe God's voice and believe what, just the, the scriptures that we just read, you have to believe that in order to receive it. Yeah, as Steph and I were preparing, you know, amazing the number of folks that came to us and, and mentioned the guilt that, um, was paralyzing. Uh, some continue, you know, still today, and others before they were able to to break through of that. Um, all those words Steph said, you know, clean, pure, forgiven. If, if you look back at Second Corinthians eight, I love that it says some of you were once like that. That infers that you're no longer like that. We. I've been married for how long? 27 years. Just want to see if you knew. Um, <laughs> we've been married for 27 years. And, and, you know, if you've been married, you realize that one of the things you get to do together is, is try to stay in some kind of shape, you know, lose weight, gain weight, all that kind of thing. So we've done gluten-free. We've done, uh, you know, clean eating where you just eat white chicken and nothing else, yes. it seemed like, and, uh, didn't really like that one, uh, you know, Nutrisystem, all these, all these different ones, and it got me to thinking, I want to show you some before and after pictures, not of us, I told Steph I, <laughs> I, told Steph I was going to do this, and her eyes got real big, you know, not like, of well, us. Well, we don't have the after pictures right. yet, so. <laughs> We're waiting on the after pictures, but I, I want to show you just a few, and they're going to, they're going to put them up here somewhere, all right, here's the before, and then here's the after. All right, there's a pretty big difference there. I'm only going to show you three. Here, here's the next one. That's the before of this young lady. Here's the after, right? This is a big change. And then here's one where it shows the before and after at the same time. This young man before, this young man after. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. If, if you were to go to Walmart and you were to meet this young man, okay, the version on the right you wouldn't think to yourself what he used to be because his, his, his girth is no longer there. You would only see what he is. If we, if we go back one more, all right, go back one more, right? That's who she used to be, but that's not who she is anymore. 
If you meet her, all right, if she were to come and speak before us today, she would look like that. You would see her like that. There wouldn't be any sense in your mind of what she used to be. You would only see what she is. Here's why that's so important. See, so many times when it comes to being forgiven by God, we carry around what we used to be. We somehow think that God has before and after pictures. That's not what the scripture teaches. The Bible teaches he only has after pictures. God only sees me and you through Christ. So, so, so grab a hold of that, right? There is not the before. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. All your sins be as scarlet, they be as white as snow. So you've got to grab a hold of that. It's only the enemy that reminds you of who you once were. God doesn't, and he doesn't see you and I that way. Last voice, our voice. So what are we supposed to say as a Christ follower? How are we supposed to handle this um, tragedy in our culture? I want you to think about something. If, if you've spent any time in this subject, you know that science has really progressed to the point where some argue for abortion, not on whether it's a life or not, but just with radical type conversations. You, you, can, you, can, you can read them. Science has progressed with 3D and 4D sonographs. I believe that in the, in the near future, maybe your grandkids or your great-grandkids, that Roe versus Wade will be turned, turned over, I believe, be, because of science. Not because of religion, but because the evidence of the fact that what lives in the woman is a baby. Now, here's why I say that. I think back to when six million Jews were killed by the Nazis and Hitler. And I think back to... Uh, just in the, in, the, in the 60s and then, you know, all the way back to the 1800s of slavery and the Jim Crow laws. And I've often thought, what would I do if I would have been alive during that time? I've often thought that I would have stood up for, for the African-American. I would have fought for the slaves. I, I would have stood against Hitler. See, I think our grandkids are going to look back and they may even say to me, hey, Grandpa, you remember when over 50 million, 60 million children had their life taken in the womb of what should have been the safest place in the world, the womb of their mother? What'd you do, Grandpa? Did you stand against that? Did you fight? It's easy to ignore it. It's easy to go on the back burner. I believe that day will come because science will demand that we deal with it for what it is. And when that day comes, how, how will you, what will you say? So, so what do we do? I, I think, first of all, we, we need to repent. We need to repent. Look what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, do what? Expose them. In Daniel chapter 9, now remember who Daniel is. Daniel was taken captive by the Babylonians before the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, which is what we're studying in Jeremiah. 
So he was one of the early ones who got taken captive. And look at what he says in Jeremiah chapter 9. He says, it was during the first year of the reign of Darius who became the king of the Babylonians. I, Daniel, learned from the reading of the word of the Lord as revealed by Jeremiah. So Daniel says, I, I, I heard through Jeremiah, the prophet, that Jerusalem was going to be uh, desolate for 70 years. That's what Pastor Brian uh, taught us last weekend. So I turned to the Lord and I pled with him in prayer and fasting. And I prayed to the Lord my God and, what's the next word? Confessed. Now, Daniel may not have personally had these things to confess. Look at his prayer. Oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. Verse 5. But we, you might circle that, we. He doesn't just say I. He says, but we have sinned and done wrong. We have our community, our culture, our world, our city, Jerusalem, we have rebelled against you. In other words, we have heard what you've said, but we have done what is convenient. And we have scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servant. He's talking about Jeremiah, who spoke on your authority to the kings and princes and ancestors. Right? On your authority, God's voice. So we need to repent. I and, and you repent for our sometimes lack of engagement, our lack of concern, our unwillingness to stand up or to help. I think we need to ask ourselves, I guess, the question, <clears throat> with all of this going on around us, the unforgotten voice of the children, but also the voice of the mom or the young dad, what have, what have we done? What have you done? What have I done? So I think the first thing we need to do is repent. Yeah, and then I think um, the second thing that we can use our voice uh, to do is, is to pray. You know, um, and we see that here in Daniel. The scripture Troy just read in, in verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. You know, I, I don't know if maybe you've been guilty at times of this. I know that I have saying, you know, well, all we can do is pray. And that's not an accurate way to say that. The, the truth is prayer is not all we can do. Prayer is the best we can do. That's the best we can do. And so, you know, we can use our voice to, to pray, to pray for our government officials, you know, that have the power to do something about this. Pray that the truth would be known when, you know, when it comes to this topic of abortion. So I think, you know, I think it begins with prayer and us committing to consistently praying um, about, about where our society is and, and the beliefs when it comes to abortion. And then last thing is just engage engage we have um, you know we have ministry partners that we partner with and sometimes it's um, foster parenting or maybe it's uh, helping out at an orphanage maybe it's uh, ministering to a single mom there's lots of different ways to engage in the hurt that surrounds life right we deal with it in the womb, and then as 
as we get older, we again deal with what is the value of life. So I encourage us, we've asked uh, those partners that we have to come and sit up in the lobby of all of our campuses so that on the way out, you can ask questions and, and, and get involved in some way. I got to tell you, this has, been a, this has been a difficult week to read and um, to just to wrestle with this. Not for me as a Christ follower, whether it's right or wrong, but just all the hurt. The kids who have never had a voice, the voice of those who carry guilt, the voice who maybe you deal with this right now. And maybe there are voices in your world telling you, go ahead. I hope that you'll at least hit pause and slow down and investigate the reality. Would you bow your head? I want to pray for us. Father, I, I, I don't know if Steph and I have done um, a great job, but we, we have tried to communicate the truth about how much you value life and how that we're all created with a purpose to do something of significance. We've tried to communicate that you're such a great God that you forgive all of us of all the times that we miss the bullseye, we miss the mark. We don't have to carry any sin around with us. And I have been challenged in my own life to be a voice. I ask that you would use your word to speak in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah.